joy is the song of the heart resounding outward as it gives. Happiness is what you um, experience as you go through your selfish forms of loving. One minute you're happy because things are going well for you and you're getting what you want out of life and the next minute you're sad because something has been taken away from you that you want. Something hasn't worked out the right way for you according to your desires. And most of you flick from happiness to sadness, from happiness to the depression. But joy is free from that. It is just simply the song of the heart giving continuously to all around. It knows not happiness and it knows not sadness. It is just simply joyously giving because there is the beloved out there who is receiving. The sadness come, or what we call the fellowship of the Christ suffering, is when the beloved cannot receive the gift that the, that the lover is to give, when the beloved is too blind, rejects the gift in some way or the other, crucifies the lover for trying to give. Then there's the sadness. But even so, the beloved is not dependent on giving the gifts. The gifts can store up like a dam inside the beloved. The lover, and the lover will seek, seek every which way to give the gift in every which combination that is possible. But because the lover is always looking to give, the lover is full of joy. It's not dependent on the ability of the beloved to receive the gifts. It just simply is there, always ready to give. Bliss comes as a higher state of being when this energy, this exquisite energy from divinity pours down. It comes because of the fact that your beloved is now so immense in size, so vast in number, that the energy that pours in is so intense that you can barely bear it in consciousness. It transforms your gross substance. Every cell in your body becomes a cell of light, the gross substance is transformed into etheric substance, into the substance of the higher dimensions, because only that substance can bear these high exquisite energies, because that which you're giving out, which is pouring out from your aura, is reaching a vast number of beings, and they, each of them, taking their cups of their hearts to you for replenishing. This is what makes a great enlightened being, so it makes a Christ, this energy of bliss pouring into him or her, and the myriads that must receive it. And this is what allows the miracles to be wrought by such great beings, because they no longer live consciously in a body of flesh as we live. This is illusional. They live in a body of light. Every cell, every chakra, is pulsating, vivicating lights. And you have the radiance that you see in the pictures of the Buddha, that is I've drawn here, around a being. They're no longer human in the sense as you and I are, with corporal bodies. This is what Jesus demonstrated after he died on the cross. And they put him in a tomb, and then he disappeared from the tomb, and appeared on those 
of his disciples on the road to Emmaus and places like that, and doubting Thomas. Um, the twelve are busy carrying in their rooms, or the eleven that were left of his disciples, busy carrying in their rooms, frightened of the Jews because they also were bound to be crucified if they were to be found out. And Jesus appeared amongst them. And Thomas said, I don't believe that this is the Christ. And he had to touch the wounds. Huh? The story of doubting Thomas. But this particular being of a body, body of living light, his substance was material enough for Thomas to touch, even though the radiation was coming from him. And this is the story that's repeated many times in different versions in, in the great saints of Buddhism and some of the great saints of Hinduism. It's not common to Christianity. Even in the Old Testament, we get Ezekiel, for instance, sort of going to heaven in a chariot of wheels. One of those who have said to have never died. All great beings, all of you, can achieve such ability if you walk this path of love to bliss, if you love so much as to transform the substance of your body into sphere of light, spheres of light, radiatory energy, and then you live in bliss, and the bliss is uncommunicable to people because they do not understand what bliss is. It is the shunyata of the Buddhism, of Buddhists, the satori, of the Zen Buddhist monk produces the highest revelations. They don't and cannot explain it in terms of words, in terms of concepts. They just try to say, explain it in terms of what it is not. So you go from happiness to joy and from joy to bliss on this path of love. And this path is therefore a path of sacrifice because you sacrifice everything in the way to love that impedes you to love more and more, to give more and more to those around you. But it's not blind giving, it's the giving that necessitates the development of great wisdom. So, as I pointed out earlier, um, this path is the path of consciousness expanding. You have to know how to give to the beloved. And as your beloved becomes more and more embraceth, more and more the universe so the knowledge of how to give to the whole universe is yours. This is what makes you a Buddha. This is what makes you a Christ. This is what makes you a great enlightened being. Absolute wisdom. Great expansions of knowledge. Great storehouses of revelation. The past, the present and the future become one. Because you must use the past and mould it into the ever-present now in such a way that the future is fulfilled. The enlightened being lives always in the future, never in the past. We, human beings, who are walking on this planet Earth, on the whole, we live in the past. We mould and manipulate it by past events, which is our karma. We're ignorant of the future and the way it happens to us, except occasionally you may have a bit of flashes of um, premonitions of this or that to happen. But the enlightened being and of which there are many, such as, for instance, Jesus and Nostradamus and many others, that they can foretell the future. They live in the future and they mould the future in such a way that the present is manifested, in such a way that all beings can come closer to God, 
closer to the source or fount of all love. And that love is dynamic electricity. It is bliss and the energy of bliss itself, uncommunicable to anyone who has not experienced it. Knowledge, revelation of all the past and the future awakens as you travel onwards and outwards in your ability to give. And of course, most people on this path, on the beginning of the path, are fearful of giving, as I said before, the very beginning, because you've been hurt through your interrelationships with those who are unloving. And what you have to do in this art of sacrifice is to overcome those fears, overcome those barriers of giving, overcome your sensualities, overcome your forms of separativenesses. Become courageous. Think out always how best to give. And understand the language of love is truth, truth only. There's no distortions, there are no lies. And sometimes you must give the truth to people who will not like it because you have to teach them the things that they need to do in order to cleanse the sicknesses and diseases out of them. And the things that cause the sickness and diseases in them are the things they like, the things that they attach to, with their sensualities, with their selfishnesses and so forth, gives them personally their forms of happiness. And you have to teach them that happiness is not the way, but joy is. Joy means service work. Joy means giving. The true lover is always active on the physical plane, on the inner realms, always working out how best to give. There's no time to rest as such. No forms of sloth in their lifestyle. How can joy or bliss manifest if there's sloth? If there's laziness, laziness is selfishness. So you find that the lover, whether they are the monk in a mountain, totally meditating all the time. It's intensely active. It's intensely busy, always working out how to give, because the energy of joy demands that. How best to do it, and manifesting accordingly, according to the plan that's worked out by the consciousness expanding. And until, of course, you're one with the heart of all that is. No longer human, but divine, divinity incarnate, or divinity disincarnate. The two are really the one, the same thing. Everything that limits the being to being a lover is eliminated, and this is the path of sacrifice. Only thing that is left is union with all that is. Everything else has been given away. And it's a beautiful process, this act of giving away that which is no longer needed on this path to love. It is no longer needed, therefore I hang on to it, simply give it. In India, of course, and places like that, it's easier to become a yogi saint. You can walk around naked if you want, giving away all your physical plain possessions. In the West, we can't do that. What we're asked to do on this path of sacrifice is hang on to physical possessions, just enough so that it can help you to teach others the right way of living. You have to learn to share your resources. You have to learn to share all your resources, your mental resources, your emotional resources, your physical plane resources. You have to learn 
to show humanity how to give by sharing resources, not by taking resources from the planet, not by raping the planet, not by helping the, those that rape the planet to do so. To use the resources you have very wisely. Don't destroy the paper products that have come from trees without thinking very carefully as to the best way of using them. Don't waste the electricity that you've got because that's again a form of rape of the planet. You can go on and on with some of the more environmental issues that most of you are familiar with. All this is part of the law of love unfolding. But as you become more and more aware of it, the meaning of non-wasting of resources and non-raping of the planet gets transcended and transferred onto higher dimensions and more embracive ways of looking at it. It's a wonderful path. All of us that are here, of course, we're here because we have some of this vision of the heart. We're all travelling on a different lengths of the path, different degrees of it, different degrees of learning how to help and to give it to each other, to the planet, to the cosmos. And it is my great love, my feeling of love, that whenever I see beings such as you sitting to listen, that my heart goes out, my joy goes out to you. And I am very joyous, even more so when it comes back. And that is what I wish to see all of you do, is to give each other your hearts, give each other your joy, learn to show each other how best to live and work with each other so that we can show this society the best way to live. Elf House is an example of, uh, at a certain level, of education of this society of a good way of living. And this is a good example of giving, of loving. And it need not just step here in one house. There should be more and more houses like this all over Europe, all over the world, where people are learning to live more cooperatively, more unselfishly, where they're learning to live with each other in such a way that frictions and pain and, and all those other things are diminished enormously, where people individually are helped. And this is part of the law of love. As we learn to give to the others and individually or help their needs, we learn about people. We learn about how to give. Our knowledge is expanded and their knowledge is expanded by interrelating with us. And this concept of conscious cooperator, sharing resources, sharing our talents. Each one of us are un individual and unique. Each one of us are beautiful. Each one of us are lords of love in the making, flowering, unfolding. And each one of us has much to give. And all that a being that is a lover can do with another being is to bring out of that being their full potential and creative talent. To turn those beings as much as possible into creative cooperatives with the universal law of love. As you learn to love your partners, don't take from them or don't demand of them anything, but give to them that which draws out of them the very best in them. 
the very best creative potential in them. And as you work to make of them creative beings, then you yourself flower in your own creativity. You share each other's creativity. You share each other's aura. You share each other's wisdom. And you grow together. And as a consequence, you produce the child. All lovemaking is really to produce the child. It can be a physical plain child in terms of the baby that you can wash the diapers of, and that's heterosexual love. Or it can be a spiritual child, child of the creativity that the beloved is drawing out of the other. And where you're sharing certain forms of activity, where you're sharing certain forms of doing things on the physical plane. That is an example for others to follow. That can be producing artwork and producing music. It can just simply helping each other to grow. And that is the spiritual child. That is the creative child. And that is the purpose of lovemaking. The union of the two to produce a third factor which is greater than the two, which is the product of the interrelationship of the two. That is the concept of divinity in religion. And I think with that, I shall leave you with the thought of lovemaking to produce the child, the child of your creative genius. Love is consciousness itself, unadulterated consciousness. It is not limited by the personality that is your personal self, your physical body and the brain consciousness. It's existed, this consciousness, before you came into incarnation and will exist long after you leave your incarnation. Um, Jung, in Jungian terms, it's the collective unconsciousness. It is in onement with the mind structures of all sentient beings, at onement with the mind structures of the hierarchy of love. All the great beings, such as the Buddha, the Christ, etc., who so loved humanity that the entire outward life was but a service to help them, to help the society around them better themselves. And they gained great insight into the nature of the universe, into the laws of life. What is also happening at all times is the continuous creation of new solar systems, new galaxies, new cosmoses. The greater amount of space out there is in darkness. It is but dust. Cosmic dust is the greatest, uh, well, it is simply the norm. Stars are relatively few and far between. Wherever you have a stellar body, there you have a loving individual creating a body of light, creating a solar system through which forms such as ours can evolve. In between the stars there's dust. Not nothing, not a vacuum, but dust. Atoms here and there. The great this, uh, amount of substance in the universe is simply this cosmic dust. Far, far greater dust than there is stars, bodies of light. Each conscious individual sacrifices part of himself or herself in order to cohere this dust into a unity. Again, this magnetism. 
a coherent form so that it can be salvaged and sanctified. So it can be infused with consciousness and made divine. So that it can go through the human stage of evolution and into the superhuman stages. So that it too can know of love. Intelligence is inherent throughout substance, throughout space and time. Love is that which coheres the intelligence into meaningful forms, gives it purpose, gives it the overview of the how and the when and the where to. You can see that within this is the concept of sacrifice, the concept of limitation. The true lover always limits him or herself in order to give. God, as such, limits his freedom of movement, or her freedom of movement, <laughs> uh, in order so that a world sphere such as ours can be formed so that a human kingdom can arise out of it, so that the human kingdom can evolve into gods. And that is basically the act of sacrifice. A god, a planetary logos, limits him or herself for the vast duration of time it takes for a human kingdom to evolve out of a mineral kingdom and then onwards to become gods themselves so that they themselves can form or click to them the dust of space and convert it into a human kingdom to infuse it with consciousness you literally do the same when you seed or impregnate the woman with your sperm it's a similar sort of concept the substance of the womb to produce the child and the woman goes through those nine months of gestation the nine months of waiting the nine months of sacrifice which for her literally it is a sacrifice she must give up so many things in order to produce the child and in the end goes through the pain of birth that is the act of love willing to suffer pain on that cross if you wish so that the divine child can be born born into an imperfect world why is it born into a perfect world? the purpose is so that that child can be given the gifts that will enable the child to make the world more harmonious more beneficent this is again the concept of lovemaking, the concept of giving. As it is within the human couple, so it is within the greater whole. As above, so below. That which is within is also without. Thus, the Emerald tabl Tablets of Her Mistress Magesti says, and thus it is also written uh, on the doorway of the great oracle at Delphus, thus the Buddha said, and so forth great law of the universe 
you can see that the law of love is the law of conscious interrelationships, of conscious cooperative interrelationships, where these magnetic forces are interrelated to make one great dynamo of pulsating living energy, where each separate little bar magnet that is focused in all these scattered ways as our societies at present learn to cooperate and align themselves to produce one great dynamo of energy. And that dynamo of energy, once human beings learn to cooperate and interrelate their auric fields, their etheric bodies, their north-south polarities into a unity, extends outwards to embrace the universe. And wherever these energy lines touch, they are beings interrelated and integrated with it, and it becomes one cooperative, dynamic whole. One consciousness, one mind, but billions of separate unities within there, all sharing the same experience, but manifesting it according to their inherent capacities. This is the law of love, and this is what sustains the universe. Human beings, because they are scattered and chaotic, they live according to the laws of chaos rather than the laws of order and harmony and rhythm and beauty, are not in contact consciously with the great magnetic lines of force that extend from the lovers of all, from the great beings that have created this universe. But as you come in tune with your heart center, and with your heart center, you interrelate the polarities within you, then that polarity within you and the polarity without you embrace and meet and become one and you experience that unspeakable state of mind which the Buddhists could only explain in terms of what it is not. They could not explain what it actually was. They call it you know, garba, uh, the Buddha nature. Uh, they try to use such terms as beingness uh, and some beings try to tell us it's nothingness neither here nor there neither this nor that These, this experience is what the beloved gets absorbed into great power comes into your body because that dynamo, that ex the external beloved and your dynamo are interrelated. And it allows you to perform miracles on this physical plane, as Jesus did and as all the great sages did, that were lovers of humanity, that were lovers of the all. The miracles are created because they work with the laws of creation itself. Through the interrelationship of the base of the spine and the head lotus, in conjunction with the energies that are the base of the spine and the head lotus of the greater whole, the laws of nature are comprehended because that is what the beloved does in the act of reaching out to the lover. I mean, that is what the lover does in the act of reaching out to the beloved. Got it right. Um, comprehending the laws of nature, the laws of the how and the where and the why too of how everything comes into being 
because it's only through that and only by that means can the lover actually give to the beloved you tap into the energies of creation and you use the energies of the creation wisely and beneficently to assist and help the all because the act of love can only do one thing that is to produce healing energies and health where there was sickness and disease pestilence and death sickness and disease, pestilence and death is simply this act of chaotic interrelationship of biomagnets all conflicting with each other the other thing I want to point out with regards to this energy of love is the fact that the human hierarchy itself is masculine in its orientation we are uh, conscious creators if you wish we are manipulators we project the energies we force our way this way and that we destroy what we see we destroy what we wish to have for ourselves we can create great beauty or we can create the chaos and the mess and the ugliness that is presently around us because of this quality the human hierarchy is masculine and polarization Masculinity necessitates its feminine polarity. And the feminine polarity is what we call the Diva Kingdom, the Angelic Kingdom, the great archangels, the little fairies and the pixies and all those lives of which all the religious religions of the world speak of and which many seers have prophesied and seen and testified to. They together form all substance all forms, out of their bodies, out of their forms, out of their consciousnesses, our forms are wrought. We are, in a sense, the consciousness that moulds them into the form that we wish, the shapes that we wish. They are points of interrelationship between the feminine diva kingdom and the masculine human kingdom, and finally, on this path of love, a final marriage, fusional marriage between the two streams, the two streams of lives. Then one leaves the human kingdom altogether and goes into superhuman. One leaves the earth and goes into cosmic space. One becomes a god, a logos. All beings, therefore, obey the law of love in this cosmos. If they are working towards its integration, its evolution, its unfolding purpose. Within everybody, there are those organs that resist this, and those organs are karma or karma-bearing factors which produce the sicknesses and diseases inherent within everybody, whether it's a god or whether it's a human being. A god, a deity that forms a planet such as this earth is limited by the karma and the substance that that being must use in order to serve and work through. The earth itself was not created out of nothing. The humanity on it did not come out of nowhere. You get the story of the Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, Eve was created out of Adam's rib. 
uh, all these types of stories are purely allegorical. They speak of inner plane happenings, happenings before the earth was formed. Everything is bound by karma. And great beings, Logi, come into existence, produce world spheres such as this earth, in accordance with the karma of past patternings of former world spheres through which humanity has evolved into maybe as lesser states of evolution, maybe human in a former world sphere may have been the animal kingdom or mineral kingdom. From mineral to plant, from plant to animal, from animal to human, from human to the divine, so evolution goes in all spheres. And as you learn the law, you learn the way of conscious evolution of all kingdoms of nature. And you learn how to work with, consciously with the animal kingdom, with the plant kingdom and so forth. With the devic lives that embody and incorporate those forms. Part of this working, for instance, is our love for domesticated animals. Other beings that are unfolding the law of love have great receptivity to, to say dolphins. Others have great receptivity to the forests of this earth, to the way they're being destroyed and they're working to help them. Others have a greater receptivity, not so much to the forests, but to the evils within our society, all the pestilences thereof, and they're working out ways to help there. These are lovers, each one of them, tapping into the law of love. They've worked out that it's not sufficient simply to try to find happiness with one partner alone, but to see that that being and that interrelationship can only be properly fulfilled when the embrace of love extends outwards into the world sphere. And that being, whatever the chore or the task that that person has set upon him or herself, is based on love, based on the seeing of a need and a sacrifice of the time, the resources of that individual in order to rectify and make whole an area where there's obvious suffering, disease or imbalance caused generally by the act of man. Understand also with this law of love that the God of love that embodies this earth produces such things as earthquakes, such things as violent diseases, as AIDS and so forth, uh, the cataclysms to come because of the imbalances created by humanity itself. The karma that people generate by their unloving actions cannot be avoided. They must learn thereby. If they don't learn the lesson, then they'll incarnate again in such a situation, and incarnate again, and incarnate again, until eventually they learn that to give to the whole is what life is about, what love is about. Because the God of love, his consciousness, his energy permeates all of space 
and the effect of his consciousness is what we call, or his loving consciousness, is what we call the law of evolution. Evolution is progressive, it is not retrogressive. If you look in the sweep of history, you'll see how humanity have progressed. They have not gone backwards. Their cycles come when they have to recapitulate things or errors of the past to learn from them. But the broad sweep of history is progressive and this in itself is proof of the law of love in action. Karma will only manifest in such a way that the individuals will gain from it. Even if they lose everything they have, it is because they have erred by taking things from other people in the past. Or from nature. Raping the land, raping the resources of the land, uncaring, unthinking actions, selfish actions. Um, when you think of yourself rather than the beloved, then you will reap rewards thereof. When you give to the beloved, then you will reap the rewards thereof. Therefore, it is best always to give and to give and to give because as you reincarnate, you will be given to and given to and given to. It's possibly a selfish ending of this talk, but what it really means is that you learn to give. What is given to you are the gifts that you need in order to love better, in order to give better to greater wholes, to greater unities. And you start off with a male-female or one-to-one -one relationship. That is the main reason why we have this thing called sex, is to learn how to give to another individual. The very, very grounding in the law of love is there. But then you learn how to give to a tribe or a clan, and then you learn how to give to a nation. Then you learn how to give to a planet. Then you learn how to give to a solar system. Then you learn how to give to a local cosmos. Then you learn how to give to a galaxy. Then you learn how to give to a grouping of galaxies. Then you learn how to give to a universe. Then you learn how to give to all the universes. Thus the law of love unfolds and expands based on this very, very uh, elementary uh, uh, urge, which is the law of attraction, the sex impulse. And it's quite simple. Give to the one whom you regard as the beloved, and the one who is the beloved to you will give you even more, so that you can give more. And so we and the rest of the universe unfold together in a very, very progressive manner, onwards, upwards, inwards and outwards to the heart of all that is and beyond. It's a wonderful universe, a wonderful energy, a wonderful experience, a wonderful path. It would be very, very wonderful if more beings were consciously treading this path of giving and helping and serving according to their own particular forms of loving expression. <laughs>